0: Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon.
1: And uh, I just want to thank uh, Pastor Eric again for allowing me uh, to minister. Every time he said Pastor Josh, I was like, who is he talking about? I thought I was preaching today. Uh, It's just weird. Um, But it's good to see... uh, Friends, church family, uh, former roommates, uh, but it's been good to be home. Um, If you can, turn your Bible with me to the book of John, chapter 6. That's the text we're going to be reading out of uh, this morning. Dorothy Fletcher suffered a heart attack on a transatlantic flight from Manchester to Florida. She turned out to be on a plane full of cardiologists. Fifteen experts on their way to a cardiology conference responded when a stewardess asked for medical assistance. You ever heard that phrase? Is there a doctor on board? They stood up uh, en masse and rushed to save her life. She was 67 years old. They fed drips into her arms and used on, an onboard medical kit to control the life threatening attack. Mrs. Fletcher recalled, I couldn't believe what happened. All these people came rushing down the aircraft towards me. The doctors were wonderful. They saved my life. So picture this. What could have been a disastrous six, uh, situation, she was 67 years old, a heart attack. She's over the ocean. It turned into something glorious because of who was on board. So I want to preach a sermon this morning called Jesus on Board out of, math, uh, out of John chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse number 16. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got in the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near toward the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. So firstly, I want to look at being stuck in the middle of nowhere how many have ever felt stuck or trapped in a situation in life where you're in a position where you feel like there's no hope there's no way out you can't figure you you can't think your way out of this uh, situation i remember uh, i was taking a road trip to el paso just a a few months ago i think it was for conference and i was driving there and in the middle of nowhere my car broke down it was middle of a, a place called iran texas and so i'm in between austin and el paso and I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this situation? I had no idea what was wrong. I'm not mechanical. I lifted the hood and there's smoke coming out and I had no idea what to do. And, and thank God I made it to the next town and it was, it was a small uh, fix. But at that moment, I thought, I'm in the middle of nowhere. With no, I had no cell signal. I wasn't able to call people. I, I didn't know what to do. And sometimes we can find ourselves in that very situation, but spiritually speaking. Where you're not even advancing in the slightest where it feels like you're hitting a brick wall you're you're not able to move forward and you look at the situations that are surrounding us and we think this is impossible we can't get out of this in psalms 55 this is what this scripture is describing uh, king david says my heart is severely pained within me and the terrors of death have fallen upon me fearfulness and trembling have come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me so i said oh that i had wings like a dove i would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and the tempest." What he's describing here is the fantasy of escaping the storm. That we've all come to that point in life where we think, I, I don't know any way out of it. I wish I could just fly away from this situation. Escaping situations is a fantasy we all find ourselves indulging in at different times in our, in our lives. We've all been through times where we just want to escape whatever the circumstance is, or sometimes, uh, most dangerously, even life itself. You know, that's the, that's the lie of suicide, is that the devil can whisper in your ear that there's a promise of escape when you're struggling. But how many know that's not true? That the only point, uh, the only one that can help you is Jesus Christ. How many have ever been on the ocean in the middle of the night? No one? Never? I mean, I lived, I lived um, in Greece, uh, I've obviously lived here, so I've always been kind of near the water. Where I'm living now, I'm nowhere near the water, but I remember when we were uh, in Europe, um, one night, we, we would go fishing all the time, me, my brother, and my dad, and we would go, usually uh, out in the middle of the day, we had a little fishing boat, it was a small fishing boat, and it would, uh, we would dock it about, you know, 30 feet out in the water. It was on a buoy, and we would swim out to it, We'd take it out for the day, usually sunrise or sunset, and we would go fishing. So one day, we got the bright idea, hey, let's go fishing at night. We'd always, in, in L.A., we'd always fish at night because we'd go off the pier. So we said, let's go fishing at night. couldn't be that bad. So we get out there, and so it's pitch black. There's no lights on the beach. There's no lights on the water. All It was a full moon, and so all we saw was a sliver of moonlight uh across the water and now we've got to swim out to our our boat which is 30 feet in the water and in greece uh 30 feet meant it was super deep it meant like it was like 40 50 feet deep by that point point. and so the only way we could get out there was we had a little uh surfboard with a with a seat that we strapped to it and so two of us at a time could sit on the surfboard and we had a rowing uh we had a we had some oars and we would row out to the boat and so first, my dad said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you, I'll drop you off, then I'll go back to shore and pick up my brother. So he's rowing me out, and you have to have your feet in the water, and so you can't see anything. And all of a sudden, I start to feel things underneath me. I start to feel fish. I start to feel, I don't know what, I, I don't know what I'm feeling underneath, but I'm scared. And so then my dad drops me off at the boat, and now he's back at shore, and I'm 30 feet out, and I started to cry a little bit. I was, I was, I was young. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to freak out. And then, like I said, there's a beam of, uh, of light where the, the moon is. And I kid you not, I saw a fin pass over that. It was probably a dolphin. We didn't have sharks where we are. But at night, everything was a shark. I mean, a the, the fish this big was, all of a sudden, it was a great white. And so now I'm screaming, I'm crying. And then I'm telling my dad, there's a shark, there's a shark. And so now my dad doesn't want to come back in the water to come to me, so I'm, I'm freaking out. My dad's scared. We got on the boat, and so now we're just we're all huddled in the middle of the boat. It's a small boat. My dad—that's the first time I've seen him scared—and so we're just sitting there. We didn't, none of us want to fish, and then flying fish start jumping over our boat, and we're like, "Okay, this—we're done." So we had to now we had to go back to shore, and it was uh, it was very memorable, but I remember how scary it was, and this was in the middle of. Uh, the, the calmest ocean. There was not a wave, not a ripple. It was, it was nice, it was smooth. We were only 30 feet from shore. And yet here the disciples are, they're being tossed by waves in a storm in the middle of nowhere. I mean, imagine how scary that would have been for them. And they're rowing. I mean, like I said, we would have to row our way out to the boat. Rowing is hard work. How many have ever rowed before? Ever, maybe at the gym you use the rowing machine. I mean, it's it's a full body workout and that's when you're rowing on calm water. Imagine rowing in the middle of the storm. You would feel like you're not going anywhere. You're not making any progress. You're just rowing for the sake of rowing or doing what you you know you're supposed to do, but you're not making any difference. And sometimes that's how we can feel. Like we're doing everything in our power to escape the situation, but to no avail. Nothing's working. Nothing's going our way. The storm isn't disappearing anytime soon. And yet we're still plunging away, doing everything we can not to give up. Secondly, I want to look at where is Jesus? And by that, I mean, where is Jesus relative to your situation? Where do you place him on the hierarchy of your life? Is he front and center? while you try to, Or is he sidelined while you try to figure out what to do? Is there a pattern to your problem? So sometimes you get so caught up in trying to fix your own problems with your own solutions that you completely ignore the very person who can help you. You know, you're having a financial issue and instead of turning to God to help you, you think working more hours, missing out on being in the will of God is going to save you. Or maybe you have a loved one that you want to see saved and somehow you think that you have the power to convince them to get saved and that you think that through you they're going to get saved instead of turning the situation over to God. You know there's only so much you can do in certain situations? Look at the father of the prodigal son. What did he do? I'm sure he, com- he tried his best to convince his son not to go off into, into the world in sin, but at a certain point, he took his hands off the situation and said, God, you've got to do something. It's not your job to figure out how God is going to move. It's your job to allow God to move. So when's the last time you checked on your spiritual life to make sure you still have God working inside you? You know, it's kind of a, a healthy part of serving God to, to do some checks on your heart every once in a while. Checking your heart, making sure there's nothing in there that's causing Jesus to move out of your, your life. You know, maybe it's sin. Maybe it's just the fact that you've crowded your life with so many things that Jesus no longer has room to operate. First Samuel 16. This, is a, this, is, this verse of Scripture is a warning to us. First Samuel 16, verse number 14 and 15. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord uh, troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, surely there's a distressing spirit from God who is troubling you. So here in this passage, Saul didn't even recognize that God had left him. It took his servants pointing it out to him. So here he is, he's the king, I'm sure he's busy. But Saul had a pattern of pushing God aside and doing what he wanted to do. If you read through the life of Saul, he was constantly just going ahead into situations before waiting for God to move. And God finally said, you know what, that's enough. And what's scary is that God pulled himself out of Saul's life. In Judges 16, chapter 20, we all know that uh, the story of Samson, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke from his sleep, thinking, I'll go out as before at his other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. You know, when you're constantly making decisions in life without getting the mind of God, eventually he may stop speaking to you. It's like, have you ever tried giving advice to somebody, I kind of, now that I'm a parent, I kind of see it now when my parents would tell me, hey, you should probably do this, or they'd try to advise me and I'd think I knew better. And how many have ever done that? It may not be your kid, but someone, a friend, a loved one, you're, you're, you see them going down a path or doing something that you know is not healthy and you try to, to input, you try to put your input and they just blow you off. Eventually, you're going to say, okay, well, they're going to have to figure it out for themselves. It's almost impossible to get them to see what you're trying to tell them. You shed light on the possible future if they follow this situation, and all they can see is what's right in front of them. And yet we do the same thing with God. Some of us even argue with God. We argue with God thinking that somehow He doesn't know what's best for our lives. Do you know that God wants what's best for you? You know, I think that deep down we know that God knows what's best for us, But we struggle to believe that God wants what's best for us because we know ourselves. You know, we're all messed up people, right? We've all fallen short. We've all let God down at some point. And sometimes it's hard to imagine how such a good God could want what's best for us because we don't think we deserve what's best. So somehow, sometimes we think that we can't even bring our problems to God because we're the ones that caused the problems in the first place. Did you know that that God still wants what's best for you, even if you're the one that caused the mess that you're in? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says for I know the thoughts that I think towards you says the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me, and when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you," says the Lord. "I will bring you from, back from your captivity. I will gather you from all nations and from all places where I have driven you," says the Lord. "And I will bring you to the place where I have caused you to be carried away captive." Why did the prophet uh, tell the children of Israel to this? Uh, tell the children of Israel this. Here they are. They're in. They're in the situation because of their own decisions. They're held in captivity because of their sin. And in the midst of this, God is saying, I have a future and a hope for you. You don't have to remain this way. He's reminding them that, yes, they deserve the situation we're in. Sometimes we deserve the storms that we're in. But God still wants what's best for us. You know that God loves you more than you love yourself? I know for some people that's hard to believe. You look at yourself in the mirror and you think, how can anyone love me more than myself? But God loves you more than yourself. And so for some of us, we're trapped in this same cycle that the children of Israel were trapped in. God begins to move supernaturally in our lives, and we're thankful for this, but eventually we take on the attitude that it somehow has something to do with us, with our own ability. You know, I got myself here. And then the storm comes in and shakes everything up, and like a scared kid, we go running back to God. Like, fix it. Wouldn't it be easier if we just kept God in the front and center of the boat? There's a, there's a quote that says, sometimes God doesn't change your situation because he's trying to change your heart. You'll never be able to completely avoid the storms of life. You know, Jesus was uh, involved in many storms. He was the son of God, but yet he was still involved in these storms. But what Jesus had on his side was a supernatural element, that he was able to speak to the storm, that he was able to speak to the waves. And that's what we need to invite into our situation. So thirdly, I want to look at getting from point A to point B. And sometimes we don't even recognize the kind of God that we serve. It's amazing how long we can serve God for, and for years and years and years, and we see God move supernaturally in our lives. And in the very next storm, we completely forget the last situation He got us out of. You know, Pastor Eric mentioned how faithful I was. I, I didn't have a choice. I was a, I was a church kid. I, I was raised in church. My parents took me to church from the time I was born. So, but part of that was you know, I'd go to church and I would see God moving. And so I saw the situations in our own family, God moving in my dad's life, uh, my parents' life in situations overseas. And, and eventually that became, those became my own experiences where eventually I was able to develop a relationship with God and say, you know what, if you could do that for my dad, if you could do that for my parents, for, for so-and-so in church, uh, for Pastor Eric, you can do the same thing in my life. You know, we serve the same God that that works in Pastor Eric's life and, and that works in all you know all the greatest men of God, men and women of God. We serve that same God who wants what's best for us. And you see, the interesting thing about the passage of Scripture we read was that this wasn't the first storm that the disciples had been through. And this wasn't the first storm that they'd been through with Jesus. So let's look. There's actually... Uh, another story that takes place before this, let's look at that story and see the difference in how they reacted in Luke chapter 8 verse 22. Now it happened on a certain day that He, Jesus, got into the boat with His disciples and He said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out and as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water And they were in jeopardy, and they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So here they are in the middle of the storm. They had Jesus Christ on uh, on board, and they didn't even realize the significance of that. You know their first thought wasn't to immediately run and wake jesus up It was their last resort because they didn't recognize that he was the son of god and that he was involved in their situation it's like uh, i guess an example would be like having uh, lebron james on your team in a pickup basketball game and not knowing who he was and then all of a sudden you're down by 30 points in the last quarter and you think maybe i should get that guy off the bench and allow him to play in the game and then all of a sudden you're winning And that's the, the situation they found themselves in, is that Jesus Christ was asleep on the board and they didn't even recognize that they should be calling out to Him. But then look at the second storm. You know, after this, Jesus became real to them. In that last verse it said, Who can this be? For He commands even the winds and the water and they obey Him. That's the revelation. is That they started to recognize, wait a minute, He was on board, He woke up, He talked to the ocean, and the situation changed. So then, you see how they react in the next situation. Is it possible that you're going through a shaking up of life to wake up that faith that's inside you? So we don't always know why we go through what we go through, but for some reason, Jesus was asleep on the boat. Now, I like to think that Jesus did everything for a reason, especially if it's written down in the Bible. But Jesus knew beforehand that there was going to be a storm. But yet he allowed this to take place so that in the next situation, the disciples would know exactly who who to turn to. And so what did they do when when they recognized Jesus walking on the water? The first thing they did was they invited him on board. They said, you're the one that can cause this storm to cease. And when Jesus stepped into the boat, everything changed. And when Jesus steps into your situation, everything can change. So let's look at our main text. So when they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water, drawing near to the boat, and they were afraid. At first they didn't recognize him, he was afar off. But Jesus said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And that, at that point they knew exactly who it was. And they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So sometimes Jesus has to do the impossible to get your attention. In this scripture, he's walking on the water. So sometimes we're so focused on the storms of life that we don't even see Jesus walking on the water in the background. And Jesus has to do something to get a hold of us. And then we see Jesus and then we invite him on, the board, but on board. But when Jesus gets involved, your situation can change in an instant. All of a sudden, the storm is behind them. It says, look at that last text. Immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. In this situation, Jesus didn't call him the storm. Uh, the storm just immediately was behind them. They were exactly where they needed to be, but this only took place after Jesus was invited into the boat. It's not like they were going to save themselves. They were sailors, they were fishermen, but it's not like their skills at maneuvering through storms were going to save them through this situation. It's only when they invited a miracle worker on board. And this happens more than once in Acts chapter 8.26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go, toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. In verse number 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went uh, down into the water, and he baptized them. Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Ozotas, And passing through, he preached in all the city until he came to Caesarea. So the story is incredible. Here's Philip. He's in the middle of doing God's will and he's doing what God has called him to be. And God physically moved him to the next place he needed to be. Because that's the power that God has, to physically change the situation around you. When you don't see a way out, what do you do? You have to turn to God and say, look, I can't see a way out. I don't know which way is left and right i don't know which way is north and south but i know that when you get involved the situation changes and that's where we can see god move supernaturally in may of uh, may 27 1943 in the middle of world war ii many of you may know this story uh, louis Zamperini and his crew sh- uh, were struck over the pacific ocean on a rescue mission to find a plane that went missing the day before so here they are they're over the water and they're struck with mechanical issues and the plane fails and it plunges into the ocean so here they are in the middle of the Pacific Ocean there's nothing around them and then here's Louie and it says that he was trapped in the wires and the wreckage of the plane and so the last thing he remembers is being pulled under and he's he's pulled in by the plane and he, he's thinking I'm gonna die now this this man didn't have a relationship with God he didn't even think to cry out at this point and he passes out And what happens is uh, eventually he wakes up and he finds himself afloat and he finds himself free and he's pulling towards the surface. And he even says, I don't know how this happened, but God got involved in that situation. And eventually, I mean, he has an incredible story. If you've ever read the book Unbroken, it it details the, the, the suffering and the things he went through. But it says, um, what, what Louis Zamperini said, he ended up giving his life to Christ and becoming a born-again Christian and uh, being, a pow- being used as a powerful tool for the gospel. He said, a moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. He was able to recognize that the situation he was in was preparing him. He, had he not been in that situation, he may not have given his life to Christ. That he was able to recognize that that moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. Or, or a moment of pain is worth a lifetime in eternity with he- in heaven with God, right? Another quote says, fear is the glue that keeps you stuck, but faith is a solvent that sets you free. So once you invite God in, supernatural things can happen. Psalms 34, 17 says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them. He guards all of his bones, not one of them is broken." That's a promise that we have this morning. That God is watching over us, that God is... He wants what's best for us, He can deliver us as soon as we make the call. God is always able to work in ways that are beyond what we think are possible. Not every situation is going to have the same miracle. You know, in the first storm, Jesus walked out and He calmed the storm. But in the next storm, uh, storm, Jesus transported them out of the storm. So like I said, it's not our job to figure out how God works the miracle or how the, the outcome comes about, but we have to serve God and allow Him to remedy the situation in His way. And we have to put our trust in God and let Him orchestrate our lives. And man, I like every head bowed and every eye closed this morning.
0: of Chandler Conference, so please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks.